Hello, and welcome to our weekly message. In today's message, Pastor Myron continues our Advent sermon series titled, Rediscover Christmas. This week's message is titled, Finding Joy in Our Discouragements, from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. Good morning, friends. It is the third Sunday of Advent. Our focus is joy. And our particular focus as we study the Word of God this morning is finding joy in life's discouragements. But right now, would you turn to someone close to you and extend to them a warm smile and a joyful Merry Christmas? There are a lot of smiles happening out there, and that's a good thing because did you know that smiling is sort of a big deal? Research tells us that children on average smile 400 to 500 times a day. A happy adult will smile maybe 40 to 50 times a day, and a regular adult 20 times a day. (laughs) That same research study also tells us that when we smile, it not only provides a mood lift, but smiling helps our bodies to release cortisol and endorphins. And those things, for example, promote the lowering of blood pressure the release of stress, and the boosting of our immune systems. The same study goes on to say that people who smile more are seen as more gracious and friendly and more competent, and they're viewed as more productive at work, and they make more money. Who knew you got all of that out of a smile, right? On the first Christmas night, the angel of the Lord arrived to a pasture just outside of Bethlehem and announced to some sleepy shepherds, humble shepherds, a message of great joy that will be for all the people. Twenty centuries later, that message, even in the face of life's challenges, difficulties, discouragements, still places a smile of authentic joy on our faces. So I invite you in your Bible or on your device to find the classic Christmas story, Luke chapter 2. And this morning we're going to study the first 15 verses, Luke chapter 2 and verses 1 to 15. Let's pick it up with verses 1 to 3, Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, And everyone went to their own town to register. By noting specific names and events, the gospel writer Luke, who was by vocation both a physician and a gifted historian, he wants us to know that he's writing about actual history. This is not fiction. These are real places. These are real people. These are real events. Now focus on the first three words of Luke chapter 2 and verse 1. And those words are, in those days... In those days, the most powerful person on the planet was a guy by the name of Caesar Augustus. Augustus means majestic. He was Caesar the Majestic. He was born Gaius Octavius and pronounced Caesar in 27 BC. And what kind of a guy takes as their name, I'm the majestic one? He did. He again was the most powerful person on the planet, and he was that at a time when the Roman Empire was at its apex on planet Earth in terms of might and territorial expansion. In those days were also some of the darkest days ever in the history of the world. 
In those days, Caesar Augustus ruled over his empire as a tyrant with an iron fist. In those days, Caesar Augustus was moving in the direction of declaring his own divinity and demanding that his subjects actually hail him as God. And in those days, Caesar Augustus, Mr. Majestic, was working on a plan behind the scenes to cement his legacy. During the days of Caesar Augustus, the land of Judea, it was just an occupied territory. But Caesar had a plan to bring Judea into the Roman Empire as a province for the very first time. In order to do so, however, he would have to tax the people of Judea heavily like the rest of the empire. And so it was that Caesar Augustus declared a census for the purpose of taxation over the entire Roman world. Meanwhile, in those days, Caesar Augustus had given his nod of approval to a mercenary by the name of Publius Quirinius to be the governor of Syria. Quirinius would be Caesar's guy on the ground to put the machinery in place so that this taxation could happen. And all the while, Caesar was working behind the scenes and manipulating by his genius and by his power so that everyone at that time in history and going forward would know that he was indeed Caesar the Majestic. This was all about Caesar. Verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. It didn't take long until Caesar's decree, this taxation, based upon a census where everybody had to return to their ancestral hometown to register. It didn't take long until that decree touched the lives of a nondescript Jewish couple that Caesar could never have known in a thousand lifetimes. Because of his decree, Mary and Joseph had to take on what would have been an arduous journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem, about 150 kilometers, a week-long journey. And she, having conceived the Son of God by the power of the Spirit of God, was nine months pregnant. But off they went for Bethlehem because Joseph was in the line, the lineage of Bethlehem's most famous son, great King David. So off they went so that Joseph in Bethlehem could sign up and pay up. And while they were there, the moment arrived. And Mary gave birth to the promised Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there was no room for them in what would have been a very humble inn, likely just a stone enclosure for both people and livestock, Mary and Joseph went to even more humble accommodations, and so it was in a stable that Mary gave birth to our Lord Jesus Christ. A few years ago in the United Kingdom, a motel chain seeking to right an historic injustice of 2,000 years made what I think is kind of a fascinating offer. They would provide free accommodations on Christmas Eve for any and every couple named Mary and Joseph. No donkeys, please. 
So it was that Jesus was born and wrapped in strips of cloth by his mama and then placed in a manger. It's unlikely that the manger was the quaint wooden structure that we perhaps envision because limestone was very plentiful and that part of Judea was likely something more like that. A rough, carved-out trough from limestone. Imagine that uh, with a bed of hay in it. And Mary placing the Lord Jesus, the eternal Son of God, having stepped out of eternity and into our world of time and space as an infant into that sort of a manger. Verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Try to imagine what it might have been like on that first Christmas night. There are some sleepy shepherds there in the pasture just outside of this tiny little town of Bethlehem. And it's quiet. It's incredibly quiet. This is a world with no white noise. And it's dark, except for the light of the campfire, with a world in which there's no ambient light. It's so very dark. And the shepherds are whispering, and the fire is crackling, and there's the occasional ringing of the lead sheep bell. And some shepherds are around that campfire. Others have tried to catch some sleep on makeshift beds of reeds. And then all of a sudden... The darkness and the silence are absolutely shattered by the appearance of the angel of the Lord and the pasture in which those shepherds are taking care of their sheep. It is enveloped in the visible, luminous, radiant Shekinah glory of Almighty God. And no wonder those shepherds were terrified at what they were witnessing as the angel of the Lord arrived to bring them a message of good news, of great joy that would be for all the people. A few years ago, Paul Brandt did a concert with Calgary Philharmonic Orchestra called A Country Christmas. They've done that more than once. Uh, but I just imagine the investment in time and preparation and practice that would go into something like that. Imagine if having put everything into it that was necessary for that performance, if Paul Brandt and the Calgary Philharmonic ended up doing their concert for a few employees at a co-op gas bar. I wonder what the choir director of the Heavenly Host thought on the night of the first Christmas when they showed up to do this glorious performance for, of all people, shepherds. Remember this, my friends, on that night, the message of the birth of the king from all eternity, our Lord Jesus Christ, that did not come to Caesar in Rome. That message did not come to King Herod. It didn't go to the high priest. It didn't go to the Pharisees. It went to shepherds. And we tend in art and in culture to romanticize the shepherds that are kind of middle-aged men. It's highly unlikely that that's who they were. Shepherds in that culture, they were uneducated and illiterate. They were irreligious. They were smelly. If Willie Nelson had done a song back then, it would have been, Mama, don't let your babies grow up to be shepherds. They were at the bottom of the social ladder. 
And yet it was to humble shepherds that the glorious message of the birth of the promised king of the Jews was given. Verse 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel singing, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. The glorious news, of course, was that God had stepped out of the realm of eternity and into our world of time and space in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The promised Messiah had been born in King David's city in the town of Bethlehem. At this announcement, all heaven broke loose. And the heavenly host swept down over Bethlehem's plains and sang a song of praise and glory to God on the occasion of the birth of the Son of God. And as for the shepherds, after a moment of consultation, they agreed with one another, let's not turn and run. Instead, let's go see this glorious thing of which we've been told. Well, as we conclude this morning, Glenn, let's draw some principles out of this amazing and timeless historical text of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ in history. Truths that I trust will help us to know the joy of the Lord Jesus in our lives in this day, in this season, even in the face of life's inevitable challenges and discouragements. Here's principle number one. Friends, our hearts are filled with joy no matter what. As we reflect on this truth, ponder the people God uses. Ponder the people God uses. Now, the candy cane, I mean, which they're everywhere. We all like candy canes. Everybody likes candy canes, right? Sure. They actually have a history going back 350 years. The choir director at the cathedral in Cologne, Germany, took regular candy sticks, heated them up, and bent them so that he could give them to the children. And he bent them into that shape because if you turn it upside down, you got a J, which is the first initial in Jesus' name, right? Makes sense? Only that's not the thing. That's not why. The candy cane was shaped such as it is because it was to represent the crook in the shepherd's staff. The individuals to whom the very first Christmas was made so real to them as the angel of the Lord announced the birth of Jesus Christ. Here's something else about the shepherds in that culture. They were both typically male and female, and they were either way of 15 years of age. So the first people to visit the Lord Jesus Christ on the occasion of his birth may well have been young women and young men. Again, in our world, they're adolescents. They're 15 years old, give or take. I love that, don't you? Because it's a reminder to me of what Max Lucado calls the glory in the ordinary. Ponder the people God uses. The only ability that God seeks from us 
that he might work through us to be a blessing in Jesus' name to others, the only ability he seeks is availability. If you're a follower of Christ Jesus by faith, I mean, if you're in Christ Jesus, then God invites you, yes, he calls you to join him on mission Ordinary people like us to accomplish the extraordinary by the power of the living Christ at work in and through us to show and share the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not the realm of the elites exclusively. This is not just for seminary graduates. Every follower of Jesus by faith gets to be a part of the joyful enterprise of making this Savior who stepped into our world 2,000 years ago known and famous who this Christmas season is the Spirit of God putting on your heart right now to join Jesus in what he's already doing in their life to make Jesus more fully known to them. His love, his hope, his peace. Our hearts are filled with joy even in the face of life's challenges because we ponder the people that God uses. Ordinary people. That's how God gets his work done. Secondly, ponder the purpose that God chooses Ponder the purpose that God chooses. I love this. There you have in Rome, Caesar Augustus, with his machinations moving behind the scenes for the glory of his name. This is all about Caesar. And what does God do for Mr. Smarty Pants, Mr. Majestic? God takes what Caesar delivers what he thinks is going to be for his glory, and Almighty God uses it for his great glory and for our blessing. Amen? So that decree, that mandate that a census be taken of all the world for the purpose of taxation, that just pushed the first domino that ended up in the Son of God being born in Bethlehem even as the prophet Micah had predicted seven centuries earlier. Thank you very much, Mr. Majestic. Not only that, his taxation decree, which again was all about his legacy, all about making sure that he would be the man then and going forward forever, that taxation decree ensured that the spotlight of redemption, God's plan through Jesus to rescue people from their sins? Caesar's decree ensured that the spotlight of redemption would fall not on Rome, but on Bethlehem. Pretty cool, isn't it? Our God reigns. Amen? Ultimately, this world is not managed by what happens in Washington, D.C. or Moscow or even less so Ottawa. Our God reigns, and he is at work for the glory of his name. I didn't mean that to come out like a political statement. <laughs> so, friends, think of this. Because sometimes we watch the news, and we're tempted to run around like our hair's on fire. Remember that our God reigns and no power or principality will thwart the purposes, the righteous purposes of Almighty God for this planet and for its people. That's the truth. Corey Ten Boon, the late Corey Ten Boon once said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. 
Jeremiah 29, verse 11, the Lord says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans to give you hope and a future. This is the Lord our God. When we reflect in days of uncertainty on the fact that our God's purposes will be accomplished for the glory of his name and for the good of his people, our hearts are filled with joy. And finally, our hearts are filled with joy as we ponder the present God looses. Think about the greatest gift of Christmas. Think about God in love sending his son into this world. That's the great message that the Christmas angel brought to the shepherds that night. Today, in the town of Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He's the promised Messiah. He is Christ the Lord. Our Lord Jesus Christ is Emmanuel. He's God with us. This is the Almighty stepping out of heaven and into our broken world. In Romeo and Juliet, Romeo utters these words. He jests at scars that never felt a wound. Friends, we don't have a God without scars. We've got a God who has a lot of scars. Scars on his hands, scars on his feet, scars on his side, scars on his back. Jesus in the incarnation moved into our neighborhood, as John puts it. He pitched his tent on our street. He experienced all of life just as we do, and he got some scars. And what that means is that in our woundedness, in our brokenness, we in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is Emmanuel, who, we have a God who gets it. He identifies with us. He understands us experientially. He's been there. And as God Almighty, we can ask him for help and mercy to meet the need of our moment. This present that God loosed upon the whole world is Emmanuel, and he's the Savior of the world, the only Savior of the world. Paul would say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And we echo that this morning. We rejoice in the humble birth of our king. Contrast that to Caesar, the majestic one. Our king was born in a manger, in a barn. We rejoice in his humble life. And as he grew up, we rejoice. And we are not ashamed of the perfect life that he lived in his once-for-all sacrifice on the cross and his glorious resurrection from the dead so that all who choose in simple, sincere faith, believing that Jesus did die and ro uh, rose, rose from the dead for them, choose to trust their lives to Jesus as their Savior and Lord, are forgiven, set free, restored to relationship with God, and given the free gift of forever life. We rejoice in this. This is our King. In the early church, the believers living in that world, that desperate world, ruled by that despot, Caesar Augustus, they did not say in despair, look what the world has come to. But with joy they did declare, look what has come to the world. God in Christ Jesus has visited planet Earth. A few years ago, Grace and I and Danny, we stepped into a Starbucks to get something, a beverage, and it was summer, so we were getting a cold beverage, and my wife's go-to cold beverage at Starbucks in the summer is a mocha coconut frappuccino, which she ordered. Now, the server was so dour and so grumpy and so abrupt, we didn't even actually know what to do with this. Like, are we on hidden camera here? We're being punked, right? This can't be real. This is so ridiculous. We just didn't quite know how to respond. 
But I guess the person was just having that bad a day. So we got our Starbucks, our beverages, our fraps, and on the way out, Danny turns around. And in a super chipper way, he said to the server, turn that frown upside down. Friends, this Advent season, we're not naive. Life is filled with challenges and difficulties. And for some in our church family, these days are days of profound difficulty. But we choose to wear a smile of authentic joy for Christ the Lord has been born. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, how we celebrate your birth, your humble stepping out of heaven and into our world, taking on flesh, identifying with us, and intervening on our behalf as the perfect God-man, giving your life for us on the cross of Calvary, that we might be forgiven and restored to relationship with God. How grateful we are. Jesus, thank you for the hope that you fill our hearts with. Thank you for the peace, the supernatural peace from heaven that you pour over your people. And thank you for the genuine joy, joy that transcends circumstance, joy that's so beyond a superficial happiness. Thank you for the joy that you fill our hearts with. And that puts a smile on our faces. And we say thank you, Lord Jesus, and we love you. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our weekly message. We are able to experience joy in the Lord as we live for Jesus this Christmas season. May we be a people that is walking, living in the joy of the Lord. May we have an authentic joy as we celebrate the birth of Jesus from 2,000 years ago. For some of us, we may need to turn that frown upside down as we reflect on all that is available to us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If you're experiencing challenges or hardships and would like prayer for anything going on in your life, or if you'd like to learn more about how you can begin a relationship with Jesus, please email help at hhhchurch.com. That's help, H-E-L-P, at H for Harvest, H for Hills, A for Alliance, church, C-H-U-R-C-H dot com. And we'd love to talk with you and pray with you to help you experience the joy that is available to us in Christ Jesus. Now these words from Romans 15, 13. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. May God bless you as you go into the remainder of your day to be the hands, feet, and voice of Jesus.